Hi, this is Rebecca King Cruz. Join me as I go live with Rick Flynn. You're listening to Rick Flynn. With a shout out from London Town, it's Rick Flynn presents. Now, ladies and gentlemen, your MC for the affair, Rick Flynn. Well, hello, everyone. Good evening and welcome on in today. I'm Rick. We are pleased, very pleased to have our guest today from the West Coast in California. And she is none other than the adult contemporary R&B recording artist, Rebecca King cruise and i'm not talking about the kind of cruise that you do when you sail on that big large cruise ship that's a different type of cruising i'm talking about c-r-e-w-s rebecca king cruise who also you may have heard of by her surname or stage name which is regina madre and i'd like you to come on in rebecca and say hello to our worldwide audience today hello everyone it's a tremendous pleasure to be with you today. Rick, thank you for having me. I'm very honored to be on your show today. Well, as you know, Rebecca, I've been known to do what we call our Strong Women series. I look Mm. for strong women. I've had women agents my whole DJ career that represented me and kept me very busy with work. When I was a television producer, I had women agents that also did the same there for years in my life. My accountants were women. Everything about me, I don't know what it is, I just prefer working with women. They've done a great job for me. And to have a woman like you who is a strong woman is something that I hope, Rebecca, can serve as an inspiration to women everywhere. Well, thank you so much, Rick. I, I've been inspired by other strong women myself, my my mother particularly, and uh, I appreciate your words. I'm definitely an uplifter of women and Part of the reason that I'm in entertainment and putting myself forward is to hopefully inspire other women that their dreams are possible. Absolutely. Now, I did not even mention that you were also a television star with your reality show that you had. It was called The Family Cruise. And tell us about that for the audience that may not have seen it. Well, back in about 2010, we were approached by BET Television to do a reality series about our family. We have five children. My husband is actor Terry Cruz, and we were approached because they wanted what they described as something wholesome on the network to just promote family values. And I happen to be close friends with the head of talent there at BET, Ms. Robbie Reed, who approached me and said, you know, we have an idea. We want you to come to our offices. And my husband and I, after much deliberation, we said yes. And we began a show that featured the two of us with our five kids. And it was really a lot of fun. It was very upbeat and inspiring. We're very thankful that we had that opportunity to be on television together as a family. They also picked that show up and renewed it for a second season, didn't they? Yes, we did two seasons total for BET. The only reason we didn't do more seasons was because my husband was selected as a lead character on a new sitcom. And we weren't able to commit to both shows at the same time. And the reality series was something we would do in the summer, and it was only about eight to ten weeks. He was not able to pull away from his other show to do the reality show, so we had to move on from it. But it did go into worldwide syndication with MTV International. So the family cruise is worldwide. In fact, we still have fans that reach out to us from all over the world telling us that they loved our show. That is excellent. Now, you mentioned your husband, Terry, was an actor, and that is true. But I remember him quite vividly when he was a uh, a defensive end and a linebacker for the Los Angeles Rams. He was also with the San Diego Chargers, the Washington Redskins, and he played college football, too. So he had a career with the NFL. 
Yes. In fact, when we were dating in college, Terry had expressed that his dream was to play in the NFL. Though we were very hopeful and positive and prayerful that he would get that opportunity, he was not getting a lot of attention from the scouts uh, in the NFL at the time. And literally, the last four months of his senior year, it's like the floodgates opened and 16 teams, I think at the time there were only 32 teams in the league, sent their scouts to check my husband out. And he was drafted in the 11th round by the LA Rams. And he began a seven-year journey, just moving all across the country, playing with different teams for a year or maybe two years. And we were married at the time. And so that was the first half of our life was crisscrossing the country, being in the NFL family. And it was really exciting and scary. You lived in, (laughs) in a lot of places, I'm sure. We sure did. We lived in several places in the U.S. We also spent three months in Dusseldorf, Germany where my husband played for the Rhine Fire, which was an early attempt by the NFL to take American football to Europe. It did not succeed, <laughs> but we had a lot of fun. <laughs> Boy, I've never even heard about that. They tried to get American football played worldwide. Yes, they did. It wasn't a success because the, the Europeans weren't familiar enough with all the terms and the kind of complicated nature of American football. But they love the cheerleaders and the music. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know what? You're never going to believe this, but I've always loved the cheerleaders, too. (laughs) Well, I I can believe it. I'll tell you what. I think every guy loves the cheerleaders. (laughs) Oh, isn't, isn't that the truth? I'll tell you what. That is amazing. Now, after the football career ended for your husband, Terry, he went on to host a program on television, which... I saw him on, and it was called, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Yes. Well, actually... Didn't uh, Regis... Wasn't Regis a a host on that when it first went on the air? uh, Yes. Yes. Regis Philbin was the original host of the original Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and they've had several hosts since then. My husband's first television appearance as an actor, fledgling actor, was actually an early show on the UPN network many years ago called Battle Dome. And in the Battle Dome, these various warriors would wrestle and compete against everyday Joes who wanted to win some money. And so we used to call the show American Gladiators on Steroids. Oh yes, yes. It was it was it was um quite a bit more contact and there were some injuries. And so after two years they closed it down and my husband went on to audition for various roles like you know, bad guys and henchmen and bodyguards. Eventually, people began to realize that he was funny. And um, he got his first comedic role with White Chicks. Oh, the movie. Yes. Yes, Uh yes. And that was the, the film or the project that really made his career take off. And he's done 30 some films and he's been on four or five um, television series that did well. Everybody Hates Chris. He's now on Brooklyn Nine-Nine and hosting AGT. Right. And of course, uh, you know, it's ironic, but didn't when AGT, America's Got Talent, went on the air, wasn't Mm -hmm. that as well initially brought to the public's attention with Regis Philbin as the first host? You know, I'm not sure that I remember who the first host was. I believe it was Regis. It may it may well have been um, because he was I can the tell man you of the hour. I can tell you who the second host was without any doubt because he used to be my mayor. Oh my! Do you have any idea who the mayor of Cincinnati was for two terms? They reelected him. He was what was called the boy mayor because he was the youngest person in Cincinnati's history to be the mayor at age 33. And that Mm. was a gentleman who the world, well, they either loved him or hated him. (laughs) And I think it was an equal number uh, either way. But his name was Jerry Springer. Wow. And he went on to host. Oh, yes. He was our mayor in Cincinnati. And then he was a news anchor after that with uh, the NBC affiliate here. And then that's how uh, the people that owned the, the news organization, that television station, they're the ones that 
uh, they were going to lose the Phil Donahue show. If you remember Phil, they, they, oh, I do. Oh yeah. Phil had the show out of Dayton, Ohio, which is just North of us. And then they, um, were going to lose him to retirement and they wanted something to fill that blank, so to speak. And that's when they promoted, uh, Jerry and started toying around with the talk show and all that fighting and disturbance that he became known uh, for. That was not right. planned. That happened by accident. Uh, yeah. uh, I, I, yes, I can, I can understand how in a, um, production situation something that happens suddenly becomes the focal point because people like to watch right you know sometimes that happens i had a woman who they wanted to put on my show right here and mm -hmm. she had a doctorate according to paper she would put the, the the term doctor in front of her name and you know rebecca i found out that the doggone doctorate was from a diploma mill. And oh, I, boy. I had half a mind, I'm dead serious, to bring that woman on here and then go ahead and discuss where where the this wonderful doctorate came from. And then, of course, oh. I would end up throwing her off my show. And I said, you know what? I'm. It would probably be the most listened to show that I've ever done. But I'm not going to do it. And you know what I did? I politely declined and never went down that road. That's awesome. But I just want to yeah. let everybody know, ladies and gentlemen, we're speaking today with actress. We're speaking with adult contemporary recording artist, uh, an R&B singer, Rebecca King Cruz, who later went on to college at Western Michigan University. And when you made that decision, Rebecca, to go to WMU, that was a decision that would basically change your life forever, didn't it? It sure did. I jokingly say that I went to get my BFA in musical theater and I ended up getting my MRS in Terry Crews. <laughs> the old MRS degree. Yes. <laughs> oh, definitely. Now, you were a graduate of Lou Wallace High School in a city which many people would also recognize because, if I'm not mistaken, where you're from is the home of a world-famous musical family called the Jacksons. Would that happen to be true? Absolutely. I wish I could say that I knew them when they were young, but they were just a little bit older than me. And had left Gary, Indiana by the time I started first grade. So when I was probably six or seven, ABC and Dancing Machine and Girl, I Want You Back were all on the radio. And we were all dancing to those hits, um, feeling very proud of our uh, local local family that had gone to California and gotten famous. Oh, that dancing machine. You remember? Dancing, dancing. Yeah. Do the bump. Do the bump. Now, yes. did you ever do the bump? I sure did. I did lots of bumping. <laughs> I'm, I'm a child. I'm a child of the 60s and 70s, and we did lots of bumping and the hustle and the bus stop and uh, all the twirling and swirling from Saturday Night Fever. I, oh, I grew absolutely. up in that era, and I loved it. Oh, my. You remember Joe Tex? I ain't going to bump no more with no big fat woman. <laughs> you remember, I remember that. Do you that. remember that? Yeah, I oh, sure do. Those were the days back in, the, in that era, and people oftentimes criticize it. But you know what? Some of the music that came out of that era was just spectacular, including from the queen of disco herself, which I'll bet you is an inspiration to you, and her name was Donna Summer. You know, I have a great story about Donna Summer, Rick. Oh, I'd love uh, to I hear was, it. Love to hear I, it. I was a huge, huge fan, probably sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. All I wanted to hear was Donna Summer. And right around my eighth grade year, which would be 1980, we opened our first big performance venue right outside Gary, Indiana, in a town called Merrillville. And they opened a place called the Holiday Star Theater, where first-run acts would come. And my mother, who also had been a singer, bought season tickets so she could only take one of us to each show. But for the opening show, 
at the Holiday Star, Donna Summer was the act. So she bought tickets for all of us. So there were three kids and herself. And we sat on the front row of the balcony singing and dancing along with Donna Summer. And it changed my life. I can believe that, that you talk about a lady of class. Oh, my, my, my. I loved that woman. And when she passed away, it was very, it it really affected me because I'm saddened that they say she got physically damaged due to the dust and the the commotion in the air, the pollution because of 911. Did you hear about that? It affected her, her respiratory system. Yes, I did, in fact. And I recall that she talked about things she was trying to do to take care of her health. And um, she was utilizing holistic medicine. But sadly, she did not make it through that battle. I was devastated to hear of her passing. I remember being in my car and this radio station was playing some old Donna Summer. I was like, oh, I love Donna. They're playing her today. And then it hit me like, oh, my, are they playing her music? Because something happened to her. And I found out she passed and she passed the same week or within days of Whitney Houston. Oh, my. And of course, Whitney's passing was so um, sad and horrifically related to addiction that her passing was all it seemed people wanted to talk about. Right. And a lot so, of people so, blame Bobby Brown for that, too. Right. But I, I only say that because Donna was such an exemplary individual. She was a great mom. She had a long marriage. She retired from show business and raised her children, one of whom became a professional actress who I used to follow. And Donna's life wasn't tragic enough for our press. And so she didn't get the attention to me that Whitney's passing got, in part because there was so much controversy. You know, it's like they say, we love a train wreck. I always felt that Donna deserved more of an attention to her career and how prolific she was. You feel as though she was underrated? uh, I really do. I really do think she was a little underrated. And I think about that era, how she dominated radio and how she... She changed. She changed what people were listening to at the time. Boy, isn't that um, the truth? That is so. She was. Her records were produced very. They were high class records. The production on that was table grade. Would you not agree with me there? Yes, uh, absolutely. And and even her choices as a vocalist, she went outside her comfort zone and. And um, I I just always respected Donna, and I went to see the musical about her life and was intrigued by that. Um, I'm just a very big fan. And that was actually, if I recall, my very first live concert. So it's something I never forget. Boy, isn't that the truth? Wow. So I want to move forward because a lot of people knew Rebecca King Cruz by your real name, obviously, from the other things that you had done in life. But when the decision was made by you to become an R&B artist and to actually release singles yourself, the Mm -hmm. first one of which was I Keep Holding On. And Mm -hmm. before we get into that, when I first saw that and first heard that, when I first saw the title on paper, I said to myself, well, look at Rebecca here. She's she's perhaps there. There's a chance that that this is the old song I used to play, which I did on radio, which was called "Holding Back the Years" by Simply Red. Mm-hmm. Has anybody ever told you that? Because in his record, "Holding Back the Years," he would sing, "I keep holding on," and it was Simply Red. He's a British singer. I don't know if anybody ever asked you about that, but. I wondered if it was a remake, and then when I heard your single, I said, nope, this is a brand new song, which I believe you wrote. Uh, yes, I did write the song, and I, I'm a big, I'm familiar with the Simply Red song, and always really enjoyed his music. So I would say there was definitely some temptation to borrow from the song, maybe use a sample. But as we were creating the song, we really didn't see a place to use any sampling. And so we just left the song in its original state. But definitely the sentiment or the concept that you're fighting for a relationship and that you're wanting it to work 
is common to both songs. Oh, absolutely. I, I'll keep holding on, or I keep holding on. And mm-hmm. simply read, uh, he's kind of l- disappeared, but boy, did he have a good record there. And when I first mm-hmm. heard your fr- that was, I Keep Holding On was your first single, wasn't it? As Regina Madre, yes. I put out um, a couple of little records that I did. But they were not as successful, and um, we weren't able to do as much media or push around the music. So I went with the Regina Madre so that I could just have anonymity. I felt as though people were, I don't know, assuming that I was not as talented because I was the wife of a celebrity. People did not know me that way. They saw me as a wife, a reality star, and had never known that. Um, music was a big part of my life. So I just wanted the music to sit by itself. So I thought if I put my name out, people are going to want to judge me on the rest of the things I've done. And I said, let's just see if they care about the music and if it if it ministers something to them and, and teaches them something and heals something within them. And they don't even know it's me. And I found success that way. I found radio was willing to take me on. And um, I got open doors through not being the celebrity wife and just being some unknown, anonymous person behind the music. It was validating to hear that people were fond of it, regardless as to what they may or may not have thought about me, my husband, my career, my fame, my celebrity. Because there's so many people who want to keep you in a lane. And once they see you in one perspective, they don't want to allow you to be another person or to grow or to expand. And you know what they told me? I don't know if it's true or not, but they told me that the record promoters that were promoting uh, not only I Keep Holding On, but your second single, which was called Destiny, they said not even the promo men uh, knew that that was you. That's absolutely correct. (laughs) Oh, it's uh, they found out. When did they find out? They found out after the radio had been playing the song for a couple months, I reached out to the promoter and I said, guess who? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Another word. It has to have come up. I have no idea if it ever has, but let me just give you four letters and see if this has ever come up in your career as a recording artist. S-A-D-E. Okay, does that ring a bell to you? And is there any admiration on your part for that woman whose name is Sade? She is my shiro, goddess, music muse of all time. I have been a fan since I was approximately 17. And I love her voice. I love her style. I love her class. And I love her elegance. I love her beauty. And yet I love her understated nature her discretion, her way of keeping things private when she's not out recording and performing. She lives her life to her own pleasing. And I love her just from the top of her head to the soles of her feet. She's amazing. I totally agree with that. And there is not a a very uh, exact resemblance, but there is an ethereal nature about your songs that have that Sade-ish vibe to them. It's beginning with your first single. And then by the time you got to the third single you put out, which was, uh, I think it was called What You Want to Do. That was your third one. And you know who I'm hearing in there? A little influenced by some of the sisters that I greatly admired i and i'll bet you you did too and you and i've never talked about this but the i hear a little bit of the emotions in there the hutchinson ah. the hutchinson sisters yes Do, did you like the emotions did you listen to them growing up uh yes absolutely uh, one of my absolute favorite songs was best of my love and um boogie wonderland with earth wind and with fire with earth wind and fire Yes, I was a huge fan of the emotions. My only issue was I couldn't sing that high. I always had kind of a low, raspy voice, so I did my best, but mostly I would just lip sync. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I'll tell you, they were great. And your career right now 
is as an adult contemporary R&B artist. Most of your songs are kind of Sade-ish, if I could use a word. But you did release one under the uh, Rebecca Cruz moniker, if you will, where there was one that was kind of up-tempo. I think it was called Breathless. Uh-huh. That was not yeah. really, I wouldn't really call that a... Uh, a, a ballad at all, but it kind of had an up-tempo vibe, and it was the only music video you put out where your husband appeared in it. The rest of them feature just yourself. Am I correct there? Uh, absolutely. Um, I put out Breathless as a favor to a good friend who thought he heard a remix in what is originally a ballad. I have a ballad version of Breathless that will be on the next record. And when I played my song for this friend, he said, I think you should remix this and turn it into a dance tune. So we put the remix out as a single with a video. The adult contemporary version will be on my next record. Very, very good. And I'm saving another song for last. I don't want to go there at this time. But you also released under the Rebecca King Cruz name a song called Can I Stay in Your Presence? And that sort of has a gospel vibe, which doesn't shock me because you're a woman of faith. And I'm sure just like every other female that grew up in the church, that's more than likely where you got started singing, I'm sure. I actually did. I actually did uh, begin at about 14 years old while I was serving in uh, youth ministry at my Catholic school, uh, directing choirs and creating performances for young people through my own little singing group. And we were called The Chosen Ones. My entire upbringing hasn't been churchy per se. My parents were not big churchgoers, but I have a heritage where my family is from the church because my grandfather on my father's side was a minister his entire life. So I say it skipped a generation and came to me. <laughs> and so I served as a worship leader, as a minister, as a um, deacon, children's minister, choir director, just serving in the church as a musician, primarily as a singer and songwriter, but not always the person in front. You know, I always had the teacher director ability. So when I recorded can I stay? I never had a big voice like Mahalia or Aretha. So I wanted to make something that was Sharday-like for the Christian community. And I wrote a song on the way home from choir rehearsal called Can I Stay in Your Presence. We put it out and it, it didn't do super well. I had trouble getting it on radio. And the thing that they told me, <laughs> oddly, is that the song was sexy and that it was a little too smooth and sexy for gospel radio. I went home and cried and said, well, okay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I thought it was just a beautiful melody with beautiful kind of bossa nova sounds that sang about Christ in a way that is very personal and intimate. Well, I've had Shirley Murdoch on my show, and you can go up and listen to that right now. She has had a number one secular hit, and then she's had hits on in gospel. Yeah. For now, you know what she says? Now, I record whenever they want me to record. I sing what she calls life songs. I sing songs about my life. How's that? Right. Yeah, right. And, and I believe we have labored so long at keeping everybody apart that we don't, we don't sing secular if we're gospel or we don't sing gospel if we're secular. But there is no way to separate God from the rest of our lives. I think we have a narrow-minded view there, and I, I applaud what Shirley says, that you just sing about life, and, and that's all we need to be is authentic. Right. And in Can I Stay in Your Presence, I'm hearing the— Sade vibes in there, just like on your first single. It's got that hypnotic feel to it that kind of pulls you in. And you wrote that song in your car. I sure did. I wrote it in my car. Like I said, on the way home from rehearsal, I sat down at the piano and put the chords together and performed it a few places and actually got to perform on the Bobby Jones Gospel Hour 
in their last season and shared that song with the whole world. Oh, that's that's very, very good. Very good. Now, you, I understand, were a Shaka Khan lover. Oh, yes. You know, actually, my mother is a huge Shaka Khan lover and introduced me as a child to to Rufus and Shaka Khan. Oh, tell uh, me something good. He, yes, yes. And, you know, all of the great hits, Hollywood, um, Sweet Thing, you know, um, that's all we listened to at our home was Natalie Cole, Chaka Khan, Aretha Franklin, uh, Donna Summer, you know, Diana Ross. My mother loved Diana Ross. And, you know, just Black female singers who were breaking barriers. And, you know, it was my mother's dream to become a professional. And she raised her family and just never pursued that. So I made a promise that I would help her sing too. I said, I tell her, I said, Grandma, get your microphone out. <laughs> and, um, and let her have a crack at it in the studio with her daughter. But I just never wanted to miss the opportunity to share my gift with the world, though I had made a decision to, you know, have a family. And, and you so, sure did. You had five of them. I did. I have a whole basketball team. <laughs> Boy, isn't that the truth? Five children, ladies and gentlemen, five. Uh, and then... After they, you were an empty nester, so to speak, or you had one child left, then you decided, I'm going to take on this recording career just for your own enjoyment and because it was something you wanted to do in your life at that time? I absolutely did. And, you know, the thing about it is I still have some kids at home because they're teenagers. I can be more flexible and have time to myself to pursue my own goals. We're very excited to be pursuing our dreams as a family together. But I'm now able to do a lot because of how old the children are. What did your husband say when you decided that? He say, honey, I, 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 I want to release some records. W what did he say? Oh, he was very enthusiastic. In fact, he's been harassing me for a year, for a long time to go ahead with my dreams because he saw how unfulfilled I was. Just personally, you know, feeling as if I had, you know, wasted my life, given up on my dreams and not doing anything I wanted to do. But he didn't understand how powerful motherhood affected me. And it just made me feel as though purpose was found in my children. And so there is still a big part of me that needs to be present. And so I'm here on the Paramount lot with my baby boy, Isaiah Samuel Cruz, who is a star on a Nickelodeon show and who got cast right before the pandemic. So now mommy has a job and it's called Serving My Little Man. And um, we come to set and he works and I make sure he's doing his homework and staying on task. So we are still momager and dadager taking care of our kids and pursuing our goals. That is amazing. Now, what comes first to you, the career or the family? You know, I always want to say that I'm going to be that career girl, but until those kids are completely on their own, I'm about 50-50 right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All righty. All right. Well, I'm not going to shock you, ma'am. I'm going to come right out with it because I saved this song till last. You recorded a song. I don't know if it's the last record or the last single that you released, or I don't know if you released anything since then, but it's called... O-G-B-I-T, one goodbye in 10. Does that ring a bell? Absolutely. I absolutely love that song. And who wrote that? Ah, you know, I know that the artist and one of the co-writers was Char Nelson. And Char was an artist in the UK back in the late 80s. And I believe her two partners um, in the group wrote that song with her. And forgive me because their names are escaping me. But someone brought that song to me and said, would you redo it? The original is not at all similar to my version, but I took the song and created a version that I feel represents me. So I dropped the key. I put the song in six, eight and slowed it down and turned it into a ballad. <laughs> and do you know what I hear in that? This is what may be shocking to you. In that song, One Goodbye in Ten, which you recorded, I'm hearing a hit record 
on the country and western charts i think that mm-hmm. could, i think that could be a country hit if trisha yearwood or reba mcintyre even kelly clarkson somebody like that would give it that country and western treatment down there in nashville it could be a hit all over again do you agree with that or no oh totally i totally agree with that and I I sense that it's one of those songs that could just be redone in a lot of different um, methods and that it would be a hit no matter what you do to it. Right. And that's why I ask if you wrote it, because if that I wish I had. Oh, man. (laughs) I wish I had. I was going to turn that into millions of dollars for you, uh, Rebecca. (laughs) It could be a hit on the country charts. Rebecca, you've got another single on the way or you're working on several or have I not gotten into your later material? How many do you have released under Rebecca King Cruz versus Regina Madre? I only have two songs released as Rebecca Cruz, and the rest of the music is released as Regina Madre. There are seven singles up now on all the streaming platforms. We have a full album worth of material that we're going to be releasing as the year rolls out. I've got two more singles that I will probably put out by themselves before we'll decide whether to just cap it and put the album out or if we're going to keep releasing singles. Are these your compositions, or are they somebody else wrote them? These are all written by me, with the exception of one single that is co-written with another gentleman named Kendall Duffy out of Nashville. All right, and your singles are available on the people who actually sponsor this show, uh, Spotify. I recommend people go up to Spotify. They can get every one of these singles that you have. They're also available anywhere music is sold uh, all throughout the world, iTunes, Google, iHeartRadio. But we're an Anchor show, and Anchor is owned by Spotify. So go up to Spotify. That's my recommendation. Get your Rebecca King Cruz singles. There's a couple up there under that name breathless and can i stay in your presence and then the other singles that you've released are under your surname or stage name regina madre which actually means queen mother and that definitely applies to you thank you thank you so much rick we have women out there that are not as strong as you are rebecca they don't have the confidence inside of them to do what they feel they would like to do because they're constantly beaten down. And you're a survivor, ma'am. You're a survivor. Mm -hmm. You survived cancer. You survived raising five children successfully, which would bring a lot of women down just if for no other reason but to make them tired and and really (laughs) worn out. I get tired thinking about it. And I've never been blessed with children, but I've married my career, you see. And I, 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 to have five children, I can't even, my parents struggled with three. And, mm-hmm. you know, Lord Almighty, how you did it with five, I don't know. But the women out there, they're looking up to you as the survivor that you are. You're a strong woman. You've done the, the TV work, you've done the recording work as an unknown artist who decided to just release your own material all by yourself, which in this day and age, you can very easily do because you don't need a record company anymore. You write the song, you mm. produce the song, and you put it out there. And that's exactly what you did. Well, I thank you for your words, Rick. They're very meaningful to me. Mm. I don't think that there's anything special about me except that I just took a leap of faith. Um, I was as scared as any normal housewife would be to put myself on the front of a record or sing in the mic and go tell the world to listen. I just knew that I didn't want to die with my dreams inside me and that I couldn't live with myself if I didn't try. And I want to say to anybody out there who has struggled with low self-esteem or, or wondering whether or not you can make any of your passions come to life, I want to say that all you have to do is take a small step. Because I began recording, it was about 2003 when my daughter Winnie was born. She's now 18. And I just began writing, recording, uh, experimenting, uh, collaborating. And none of those records ever made the light of day. But eventually, we hit a place where we found something we thought was good enough to put out. So I didn't start out thinking, oh, I'm going to be on the radio. I certainly hoped so, but 
I started where I was. I started in my living room, in my bedroom with me and my piano. I want to say to these mothers out here who are worrying that they may never get their shot, it is never too late to dream. And I want to say this too, I was inspired by a story that I read years ago about a woman we may know who is Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. She was a mother and a wife who had finished law school but did not pursue a career because she wanted a family. And at 45 years old, she went back, took the bar, graduated cum laude, was appointed as a justice, and eventually became a Supreme Court justice. After taking a very big step away from her career, raising her family, and picking her dream back up in her mid-40s. And there are so many others I could name who are inspirations for me, who are women and men who said it's never too late. So I say to all you queen mothers out there, pick up the thing that you probably have wished you could have done and just take a small step. Colonel Sanders with his chicken, he didn't yes. collect his first check until he was 65 years old. Wow. That's when it happened where success came to him at age 65. If it's in your heart and you want to do something, go out there and do it. Mm -hmm. But I say to not be intimidated because the smallest step can take you on a journey of a thousand miles. And you know, you what? know, I totally agree with that. I want to talk to you. You once told you once told somebody, you said when you met your husband, it was not love at first sight. Is that true? <laughs> I actually thought he was a, a good looking guy, but I didn't want to I didn't want to distract myself from my goals and my purpose with a man who was going another direction in life. And as I saw that he had an artistic uh, proclivity. I began to feel like we had more in common. I used to say that I was never going to be the wife of an entertainer or a ball player or a, you know, kind of big ego type of dude, you know, because I needed a man to support me in my dreams. <laughs> right, right. And um, when I met him, I just knew he was special, but I wasn't sure he was my kind of special until I really believe God spoke to me about Terry. And said that the things I had prayed for and asked for and wanted were wrapped up in this young boy who was going to be a great man. And I took a chance. And you told a reporter once, you said, here are your exact words. You said, quote, he almost got stuck in the friend zone. <laughs> That's absolutely true. He was the nicest guy that I never wanted to go out with. <laughs> no, uh, that friend zone. I don't like that friend zone. When you're romantically inclined with a woman, you don't want to be in the friend zone. If there, no. if you're just, if, if there's no romance there, then that's not a bad place to be. And I'm sure when he was courting you, I'm sure he had that in the forefront of his mind. He says that he was kind of on a hiatus from girlfriends as well because he had just ended um, something he was involved in, but wanted to focus on football and focus on school. And then also there was the dilemma that I was a mommy. I had become pregnant as a junior in college and I had a nine month old baby when uh, my husband first came into my church service and saw me on the keyboard. And he said, oh, whose baby is this? Oh, my gosh, that's her baby. Oh, no, I can't date a girl with a baby, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, because he did not feel qualified to come into that family that was pre-existing. But he said the same thing about me that I say about him, that God gave him the courage to say, this is my family now. And he took a very big leap of faith to become both a stepdad and a husband. All these years later, five children total. Four with your husband, of course, has mm -hmm. he has he matured into being the father that you've you've really uh, wanted him to be? Did you admire him more by his daddy ing, so to speak? Oh, absolutely. He was the biggest nerd when we were dating and he used to play with the children and jump on the bed with them. And I always say that if we had Terry in charge, we were always going to have fun because he didn't know how to not have fun. He just was that kind of person. 
And when we got to the point that we were having more and more kids and he was working more, then, you know, it was more up to me to make sure the kids were getting what they needed. So there were some years that it was like I single parented my children and that could be hard. So he has made, you know, an apology over being a bit of a workaholic. But on that same note, he is a kinder, gentler dad. He's a softy. You know, he's a big softy and we have a grant. We have grandbabies now. So he's just a big old teddy bear. Are you glad he didn't get stuck in the friend zone? Oh, yes. Very glad. Uh, he um, has been just really the greatest asset to my life. He's a friend. He's a mentor, a guide, a partner, a soulmate. And um, I wouldn't be where I am without my husband. He's looked up to, and he appears to be in pretty doggone good shape right now, considering he no longer plays any football. You know what I mean? Is he working out mm. or what's he doing? Oh, he works out. He practices fasting. He does a really diligent routine every single day of waking up early in the morning to go and work out and be his best. And that's something I think he will do till the day he dies. He will probably fall over with a dumbbell in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Natalie Cole, bless her heart. I think she sang a song about you, Rebecca King Cruz. It was called oh. Sophisticated Lady. <laughs> I love that song. Thank Isn't you. that a good one? I think of you when I hear that song because I love Natalie Cole and I loved her dad. Oh, her dad was just infectious when you heard him sing. Oh, yes. Oh. I'm very big, very big fans of both Nat and Natalie. Oh, absolutely. Rick, I just want to thank you so much for having me. Thanks to all the fans for supporting. Follow me. Keep yourselves posted on upcoming projects. We really appreciate your love and support. Rebecca King Cruz, if somebody is listening, they say, how can I get a hold of Rebecca? Are you on the internet? Where do they write you? Where do they look for you? I think you're on so many platforms. I can't even remember them all, but I heard that on your Instagram, they were going to combine the Rebecca King Cruz with the Regina Madre and make it into one. I don't know if they've done that yet, but I think you're on Instagram to begin with. I am on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter under both names, Rebecca King Cruz and Regina Madre. So you could follow both accounts. The Regina Madre accounts focus on the music. The Rebecca accounts focus on kind of the lifestyle and personal stories, as well as motivational stories, um, updates on everything outside the music. Do you have a website? We have a website for the music called reginamadremusic.com. And we're developing a new website for Rebecca King Cruz as we are launching a luxury line. We're launching a brand selling um, shoes, bags, clothing, and cosmetics. Well, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I almost forgot to mention you won a beauty pageant your senior year in high school. If I'm not mistaken, you were elected Miss Gary, Indiana. Now that what was that a beauty pageant or what was that? Uh, that was actually the Miss America scholarship pageant system. So when I took that crown, uh, I was competing for the city of Gary, Indiana in what was the Miss America system. So I went on to uh, show at Michigan City with the other girls all around the state of Indiana to compete for the Miss America stage. And that was a really big honor for me. I was hoping to just, you know, maybe win the pageant and win some money and had no idea that the system was such a big system. In a way, was glad that I did not win the pageant at the state level because I would not have gone to school had I won. So thankful to have been a part of it and what I learned from it. But I did eventually press on to go on and get my education. And when I'm not promoting women's rights, which, by the way, your husband is an advocate for women's rights as well, is he not? Uh, absolutely. Um, he describes himself as a reformed chauvinist. So he has had to learn some lessons through the years uh, about 
quality so that he could be a better husband and a better dad to his daughters. So he took that story about how, you know, we went through a transformation and he began to just tell people how he used to not have the best mindset because of things he had gone through in life. Well, when I'm not promoting women's rights, which I vehemently wish to promote till the day I die. In addition to women's rights, you went to college at Western Michigan University. Your husband went to the same college. Looking back on it, for the children, for the kids that are listening right now, is it important to you and to your husband, who I know you can speak for him as well, as close as you are after 30 years with him, was the educational part of your life, did it make you the person you are right now? Um, Absolutely. And I value education so much that though I have a working actor son, I said to him, you are not going to just jump right into this acting world. When you graduate high school, you're going to college. <laughs> oh, I don't blame you. I don't blame yes. you. I because I out. want him to have other options in life. And um, to have that educational experience, I think, is profound and life-changing. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening today to our very special guest. I have greatly enjoyed, I've been looking forward to this interview, actually. Her name is Rebecca King Cruz. That's spelled C-R-E-W-S. Her stage name is Regina Madre, and she has singles out as an R&B artist, adult contemporary artist. You can find them on all major platforms. I recommend Spotify. If you can run up there, you can get everything she has. She is an actress. She is a songwriter. She is a director. She is a graduate of Lou Wallace High School in Gary, Indiana, where she was actually elected Miss Gary, Indiana during her senior year. And she values the family. She values education. And she is a strong supporter of strong women. I invite everybody to go listen and buy her singles. And at this time, if it's okay with you, Rebecca King Cruz, I'm just going to have you say, good night, Rebecca. Good night, Rebecca. (laughs) There we go. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest today, all the way from California, is the reality star of the family, Cruz, Rebecca King Cruz. Go look for her music. Watch her husband, Terry Cruz, as he hosts the television program, America's Got Talent, every week. I just want to thank you again. Rebecca, this is Rick Flynn speaking. It's been fun, but I've got to run. On behalf of myself and Rebecca King Cruz, we'll say we'll see you on the next one. Good night, everybody. The proceeding was a Rick Flynn production. This is your announcer, Chantal Marie speaking.